Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. Uh, it is the 19th of September. It's a Monday. This will be out on a Wednesday. We have breaking news, Tammy. It's all over my social media feeds. Adnan it happened Syed. when I was asleep. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, Tammy is still in Korea. This is a huge um, deal. Adnan Syed is, is walked out of a courtroom in Baltimore. And he's now a free man now. People don't know whether or not Marilyn Mosby's office, who's the prosecutor, and Marilyn Mosby has been the prosecutor in Baltimore forever, huh? Yeah. I just feel like prosecutors generally don't last that long. Um, but anyway, Marilyn Mosby is still the prosecutor in <laughs> As Baltimore. As depicted in David Simon's new show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's depicted in many things, right? Yeah. Like Freddie Gray. Um, but uh, she did not comment on whether or not they're going to try him again because what happened was the old conviction was vacated. And so he is awaiting word on whether or not the charges will be dropped. And uh, he's out. What do you think about That's this? so crazy. Well, do you, we should say briefly, I guess, who it is in case people haven't heard. But this is from Serial Season 1. Yeah, the first season the hit, of Serial. The hit podcast, if people haven't heard. And um, this guy was convicted of murdering his girlfriend, who's a Korean-American woman. And yeah, okay, so when I was listening to the show, I I don't, I was very sympathetic towards him, but I can't say that I felt like it was a slam dunk. Yeah, that's you how know, I felt. For yeah. his innocence, so this is kind of interesting. Yeah, it's one of those things <laughs> where it's like, okay, if I, if you like basically were like, all right, gun to head, did he do it or not do it? Yeah. You know, I would absolutely say he did it, right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I think a lot of people feel that way, but luckily the justice system doesn't work that way. Yeah, and I exactly. think that like, you know, the people who are saying that the case, the prosecution made a lot of mistakes or whatever, you know, they, that is true. And uh, you can't be a critic of the criminal justice system and the excesses that they do without also saying that, you know, trials that became super famous because of a podcast yeah, where exactly. you sort of disagreed with a lot of the conclusions of the people making the podcast or that you even found a lot of the people who are championing it not the podcast makers themselves per se but many people being very annoying about it did that mean suddenly like your reservations about the criminal justice system go out, right. <laughs> go out the window right, and right, suddenly right. like yeah. throw this guy in jail forever but you know it was <laughs> yeah. the, some of the celebration seems a little bit odd you know like i was reading about it and like the Heyman. um this is him and like Lee, right? Like yeah. Her, uh, Did her family is still pretty upset. I think they were in the courthouse. Okay. And um, because they know, were famously like not willing to talk at all to Serial, right? That was right, the whole thing. right, right, right. Although I don't, I'm not sure how much effort. I mean, there was like an episode about how much effort yeah, they was put in to try and reach out to it, but. Yeah. That was somewhat after like somebody wrote a pretty critical. It piece did feel like, yeah, yeah, they were very, yeah, not present. Someone yeah. wrote that piece. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to relitigate <laughs> right. everything, but, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's interesting because it's uh, in these moments, you know, um, what can really one say other than, you know, it's generally good when bad prosecutors have their work thrown out, right? Like, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Uh, but. It's um, interesting to think about the podcast as this new form of kind of exoneration in the criminal justice system, because this isn't the first time. I mean, I know he hasn't been fully exonerated, but um, right. within the dark, a great show, Curtis Flowers, that case went all the way to the Supreme Court. He clearly was innocent and framed. 
um, yeah. and have that grown out. Yeah, it's such a, I don't know, what do you, I mean, because you used to do a lot more of this kind of long form podcast recording, Jay, like, what do you make of this? I did? Well, not like whole season, but you did a lot of stuff for This American Life oh, yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And so I'm just wondering, like, thing, what, yeah. what do you think about it as like, a form of getting into this criminal justice stuff? Because it seems like it's proliferated, the true crime podcast. Right. I mean, look, there's a wide variety. There's a wide range of things that are out there in the world. Some of them are works of true reporting where people who have a lot of go out there with the recorder and they do it all themselves. And I don't think that Serial is not one of these shows. You know, I think they did the reporting. Yeah. Um, And then there are true crime shows where they just steal people's reporting and then just repackage it and put like a little piano beat underneath it right and then they (laughs) sort of narrate it in these obnoxious ways and they basically are making like a what in the past would be like a five cent type of um you know fly like pamphlet or something that you would pick up i i I have no idea what world i'm or what reality or era of history i'm just right now like 10 cent (laughs) mystery type of thing you know um and that those i think i find much more interest like much more concerning concerning is not even really the right word but like i just kind of roll my eyes at because like anyone who has been a reporter of any type has received many emails i would say from podcast producers who ask you to basically just hey yeah. Uh, can I pick your brain for a second? And you're just like, I know what that means. You mean, do you, can you just steal everything that I've done? Well, you're yeah. going to do it anyway. Yeah. So why don't you just not ask me? You know, does it make you feel better that you asked me? And like, <laughs> oh my God, I have the opportunity to be on your podcast, you know? Like, <laughs> amazing, right? Like, in the, and even the big ones, it's just like, what is that going to really do for me? I don't give a shit about being on your podcast, dude. Don't steal my work, you know? <laughs> now, if they, if they cite it correctly, right? Or if they say, this is all from this person's work and here's some more thoughts on it. Or if they say, I took this, original base reporting I expand on it like that's all great right Mm -hmm. but my thought is that basically that a lot of things are journalism and the one defense I'll have of of print journalism every time is that it's the only one that actually cares about like some sort of baseline of like I mean across the board generally right Yeah, yeah it is much more concerned than other forms are And the reason for that is because the other forms have more going on, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's more demands on it. Like you have to like make a documentary that's like visually moving, right? You have to like tell a story that moves people emotionally. And that requires a lot of, you know, maybe being a little bit fast and loose with certain things. I'm fine with it, right? But like, you know, it shouldn't be something that is a basis of someone's exoneration, for example, right? Like, because those same ideas that move people, when people are making emotional decisions on how one of these things should progress, they're making decisions for the product itself, right? Right. And so, um, I don't know, though, at the same time, I'm not very Pollyannish about this sort of stuff. Like I said, like, I don't know, like, I did not do it. Like, I have no clue. I wasn't there. You know, (laughs) do I think he do I think it's weird that everyone just discounts his friend who basically said, I saw the body and helped move it. And they're like, oh, he's just a drug addict and he's black. And he's like, he's just took a deal. Like, I don't know. It seems kind of, you know. Like, I don't think those people would be accepting that type of uh, that type of explanation if it was on the other foot, you know, or if the if if that type you of mean like racially. Yeah. Or even yeah. just like really you feel like he's going to make all that up 
you know like yeah, yeah. um like sure like maybe he did like i have no clue if he did or not but you know like just sort of like accepting answers like oh you can't trust this person he's a drug yeah. addict you know like that, well, I think that, that's, that to me ways. is like one of the hard things i think about broadcast like radio or tv where it's like like when we do stuff in print like you also we also like quote unquote go native with our subject but i feel like the way that someone it sort of instantaneously becomes like the protagonist becomes a hero when you have like the sound and the visuals is like is like a kind of a danger in that form and I right, feel like in right. print, there are different ways to kind of work around it, to inject your skepticism. And I guess that's like the Sarah Koenig voice thing, but it's just, it works differently, I think, when there is, when you're not just on paper. Right, right. And where the product is not, is like people writing long form journalism also use storytelling techniques to manipulate people's emotions. For sure. And the best people who do it, do it very well, right? Yeah. And um if one feels that somebody is truly innocent and they can make a strong case for it using those techniques, more power to them, you know? All I'll say is that after listening to that show, I was not convinced that this man was innocent. <laughs> you know, and I don't think a lot, I, I think a lot of people, when they're being very honest, would not be either. But if you have a different opinion, that's fine with you. I don't, I'm trying to be very diplomatic about this, but like, I don't know, yeah. it's interesting. Now, on the other hand, is it like, is part of the quickness of the way in which people are w willing to just like not really care that this girl was murdered you know is that because of some storytelling uh let's say oversights yeah. on the on the part of that podcast i would say that's probably true too is part of the oversight based on the fact that like you know it's kind of hard for people to communicate some people to communicate with like korean immigrants for example and to uh properly tell their story and that maybe uh, the, the, the difficulties of trying to reach those people, even if great efforts were made, comes from the fact that maybe there's no, they don't trust you for, you know, reasons that like maybe you don't speak their language or whatever. That might be true too, you know, but whatever. It's not really their responsibility. <laughs> I don't feel like relitigating all of this, but like, you know, I don't know. I've yeah. always felt very like conflicted about that podcast. Um, and yeah, like, for sure. you know, yeah. I feel conflicted about is released today except for the part where it does seem like the prosecution was shoddy and you know yeah I don't and know. let's hear the like, evidence again right like yeah a bad prosecution should be vacated liberty. like yeah. that part is very simple you know yeah. to me at least um okay so tammy you're in korea i'm in korea right okay so tammy has a big announcement to make like what's your what what are you doing later today <laughs> considering that it's the my big announcement is i'm going through a lot of life changes and may or may not be in a midlife crisis and so i'm taking surfing lessons this week and all um, right <laughs> jay i know that you're a surfer um yesterday i was oh, supposed to but there's a typhoon here and so the waves were too big and so they wouldn't let beginners into the water <laughs> oh wow or okay, anyone so in the water subsided? yeah it's i mean like, like, a that type of stuff's scary like it's actually not, it was really freaky yeah. Even if the waves are calm or like the waves aren't that big, when there's that much activity in the water, that's when like you get ripped out to sea and stuff like that. Okay. So it's dangerous yeah. for things that are underneath the surface. You there know? was no like, one swimming or doing anything. Yeah, no, yesterday. you should Like all the businesses like were closed. That. Yeah, anyway, so. We'll oh, see. that's interesting. I'll keep you well, yeah. Surfing is a great. I feel like you're doing your midlife crisis when I did my quarter life crisis. You know? <laughs> My That's what got crisis. you in the water. <laughs> yeah, when I was like 25 years old or something, I was like, my life is ex increasingly meaningless, you know? And then I was like, <laughs> what can I do? 
And then I was like, oh, well, I enjoy surfing. So I'll just surf every day. And I'll just think a lot about it'll be very meditative and I'll just sit out there. And the other part of it was like, because I was surfing Northern California and the waves are kind of like brutal and it takes a long time to swim out and everything. I was like, I was sort of enjoying it. I was like, oh, I'll be one of these sort of like Northern California tough man surfers, you know, which is a whole thing. Not so much anymore, but certainly back in the day. So that's the reputation versus like Southern California or Hawaii, like. Yeah, Northern Cal, like if you're a San Francisco surfer, you surf yeah. at Ocean Beach, then basically the knock on you, that you, there's two things. The first is that you're willing to paddle through like tons and tons of white water and cold water mm. and that like you're like tough, but you also can't surf because uh, the, <laughs> the, the waves are kind of unrideable and terrible. <laughs> so like, so you okay. spend like two hours, this is like basically what my entire 20 spent surfing was like you paddle around for like an hour and a half you know and you catch (laughs) two waves (laughs) and both waves one of the two waves will be totally unrideable and the other one like you know you'll be telling you'll just exaggerate about how big it was you know but you know it's not like southern california where the waves are so consistent like on or even in santa cruz where there's reef breaks so the waves just are the same every single time and then you it's basically just like a conveyor belt of waves that people (laughs) can ride so you can get like 25 30 maybe more per session and ocean beach you get like four (laughs) you know (laughs) so was it like your arms were gigantic and no other part of your body i was in amazing shape you know (laughs) but like uh if you ask me to like go if you're like are you good at surfing absolutely not no did i become very good at like paddling a surfboard around the ocean yes i was very good <laughs> um, it's not I great read, now. Um, who's the guy at the New Yorker who writes about surfing? Oh, Bill Finnegan. William Finnegan, yeah. He wrote um, a whole chapter about surfing at Ocean yeah, Beach. Yeah, that book, like, like Barbarian something, right? Barbarian um, Days, which is the best surfing book he's ever. He's such written. A, an amazing writer. But yeah. so, like, I've, you and a couple of other friends who've done surfing, they, like, one of my girlfriends just started the other day and she is, like, obsessed. What is it that makes people get so freaking obsessed about it? Like, I feel like everyone I know who's tried it at some point became obsessed with it. Well, I don't know. It's very, uh, if you enjoy things that are challenging, but also have like short term payoffs, you know, you're like, I worked for this, then it's very appealing. But it's also, I don't know, it's you'll see later today or in the next couple of days when you ride your first wave, it is an indescribably exhilarating feeling. And there's nothing quite like it. Um, much better than snowboarding. I did a ton of okay. snowboarding yeah. from when I was, I don't know. I mean, I skied from when I was like five or whatever. But in college, I went snowboarding in Maine a lot, you know. And mm-hmm. surfing is much, much, much. It's different. It's like a whole different thing than snowboarding. Snowboarding, you're just sliding down a hill on a thing. And sometimes you go fast and sometimes you crash and destroy your shoulders like I did but you know it's never like it's never like oh my god you know my brain there there was this like like uh, you mastered something getting on top of the water well no it's just like the actual feeling of surfing is much better than snowboarding oh okay there was this documentary that was made and it was uh, aired on opdocs many many years ago it's called slow-mo and it was about this man who was a doctor in san diego and then he like he (laughs) He was very wealthy. Somehow he had like six Porsches and he had like a tiger and shit. And then he decided something happened to him, which is not described in the documentary, but I've always been curious. And 
he decided that what he was going to do instead was he was going to rent a very small apartment down in Pacific Beach, which if anyone knows San Diego is like the, I don't know, it's like the beach south of La Jolla. There's this very long boardwalk in Pacific Beach. And what he decided to do is he was going to rollerblade at a very slow pace every single day. And so (laughs) (laughs) we're far afield. Uh. But anyway, so like his, uh, his, the documentary is showing this very old man, like kind of rollerblading in extreme slow motion. Right. And what he does is he'll like push very softly and then he'll like kind of lift a leg up and he'll like, put his head Post. forward and put his arms out. Uh-huh. And his argument was that like the body, when the brain is tilted in motion at a certain angle, right, through uh-huh. self-generated motion, a feeling of euphoria opens up throughout the body, right? And that he has dedicated wow. his life okay. to just sort of existing in this thing. And the way that he's found that he can access it the most consistently is through... <laughs> rollerblading in slow motion down the boardwalk now you know this has always been appealing (laughs) to me because you know this is how i sort of always pictured my 50s and 60s going you know (laughs) i'm just i'm out of here (laughs) well now i'm just picturing you rollerblading which is so weird i'm 42 right now so i for my new employer i'm like let's say 46, right? I'll have given you a good four years. I might just do this. You know, I might just like say, hey, fuck it. I'm going to just rollerblade around or something like oh that. But um, I do think there is something to it. You know, I think that there is something about kind of riding a wave in the right spot where it's like so thrilling that like, you know, it becomes very addictive. And once you do that, then everything else becomes worthwhile, now, I'm not good at surfing, you know, but I have been on enough waves where I've been in that spot where the thrill of it will carry you through the next 20 times you go out and it's frustrating, you know. And at the, yeah. at the very least, you've like sort of sat in the ocean here in Northern California. You can sometimes see dolphins and shit, yeah, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> who's mad? That's like, you know? I feel like me just like on just floating in the ocean on a board will be so calming, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, hopefully I'll be able to stand up, but I used to be on swim. Like I used to be really into swimming. I used to do swim team and stuff as a kid. Oh, you'll and, be fine then. Um, yeah. I miss that activity. Right, right. Yeah. Really sitting in the water is amazing. And yeah. like floating around is very peaceful and mm-hmm. I can really see, like my cousin still goes every single day, but she lives in Huntington Beach. And she every like, day is, that's incredible. I think she's been going every day for like 20 years or something like that. She's oh, much shit. better at surfing than I am, but like, wow. uh, you know, like she's in extremely good health, very, 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 you know, in shape. Imagine. And just yeah. like, kind of like, this is her life. She just goes out, she has like a whole bunch, she knows all the people at her local break. Oh my gosh, they say that's hi so to sweet. each other, and then she goes off, gets in her car, and goes, does she's like a HR executive at Haunt at Toyota or something, and she does her job. She comes home, she works the next morning. Like it seems like a great life. You so know? she goes out at like dawn before work. Yeah, like six or seven a.m. Wow. every single day. Yeah, what a life. I don't know. It's an amazing life. Now it's a very privileged <laughs> life, right? But like, you know, sure, yeah. But, but surfing is not that expensive yeah, as long as you live by the the beach and like I don't know. It's better than like skiing. All right, yeah, we're now yeah. on minute 20 of this. Okay, All right, I'm going to cut it. Now. I'm going to cut us off. Okay, well, Tammy, good luck with your introduction. To <laughs> Thank you. I today. appreciate that. Um, all right, well, we're going to talk about two things today. 
Oh, we were going to talk about aging. Yeah, we already talked. We already about did. That. We already did. Our... <laughs> you have tennis elbow. Yeah, I have tennis elbow. It's going <laughs> terribly. Serving is a much better option, Tammy, than tennis, tennis is every really day. hard on your body. I don't understand. Oh my god, how... I'm dying. I just saw a friend who's in Everything her sixties. She plays so much, and I'm just like. All those stops and skids, I just don't, I mean, her knees are completely shot. And I'm like, how is this your leisure activity? I know. Well, I'll tell you this. My, I have like my ankle hurts, my, the, my, I think I have knee arthritis from when I didn't get my ACL repaired after I tore it. Oh, free. And I have horrible tennis elbow. The only thing that doesn't hurt that's supposed to hurt is my shoulder. Thank God. But like my body is falling apart, but I don't know. I don't know what else I'm supposed to do. But you keep going. Yeah, it's fun and like I don't know. I'm like so bad at it that it's like exciting to try and get better at it. Um, yeah. Okay, two things we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about uh, the rail situation and then what Ron DeSantis did. Which one do you want to talk about? First? Oh my god! Well, we could just do a quick rail update because I don't think there's that much outside okay. of what people have seen in the media. But basically, we're on the verge of like what could be a crippling supply chain, another kind of supply chain disruption, which is you know people's lives. Um, Tens of thousands of railway workers in the United States who work for now a very small number of companies because of consolidation have been threatening to go on strike. Um, Basically, like in rail work, this is insane, but they have the same situation as like we're seeing in retail work or restaurants where you can get called up and just be like, you're on call, you have to come in in 90 minutes. Right. And if you don't, you're fired sort of thing. And that means basically that People are working around the clock. They essentially don't have leave, even though there's some built into the union contracts. It doesn't really work out that way when you're on call. Um, And so workers, there have been deaths because of this. Obviously, workers are just completely exhausted. Um, They don't have any time with their families, et cetera. And so it's reached a point now where, because all of the unions are connected and they're trying to kind of negotiate together, they're basically saying, we're not going to do this anymore. Um, the rails have been regulated since the thirties in a way where it's very, very difficult to go on strike because they try to prevent that. And so they have these like federal arbitration things that happen. And so basically Biden was trying to force the unions to take a deal that he had overseen through arbitration. Um, Bernie Sanders was the only Senator to block it, which means now the workers have a chance to vote on the proposal. Um, but it seems like most of them are still pretty dissatisfied with it. So I think what like. Yeah, I think so like the, the bottom line the is big, we're like, waiting. The Biden pulled it off thing was totally. a bit premature. Right? I think it's premature. I think it's a moment where like, yes, Biden is a very pro-labor president, but this is another situation in which like they are overestimating the goodwill that they have with workers. Right. Um, and yeah, I think we'll just wait and see. I think it's a really good opportunity for all of us to learn about the rail system, which even though, yes, container shipping, like the rail system also is contributing, I think, like 20 to 30% of all the stuff that we get every day into our lives. Right. Um, right. And it's owned by Warren Buffett. <laughs> like, right. um, ENSF is owned by Warren Buffett, and they're using just-in-time scheduling, basically, to make a shit ton of money. It's interesting, because, like, it seems like like the big concern here, the big point of disagreement is over sick days, right? Or um, <laughs> yeah. And like it, you know, I think that for people who are unaware of this issue, like, you know, like it's always a bit surprising. It was a little surprising to me the first time I read about it where I was like, oh, it's about sick days. It sounds insane. Right. It's like they're going to shut down. Like, like, why don't they just give them the sick days they want instead of 
<laughs> but like what i mean like what is the like what what's do you know like what's the importance of sick days why has this become such like a sticking point yeah. in, in so, all of this no totally yeah so in the contracts there are like vacation days and like personal time but they're fairly limited and the sick days thing is basically a way of saying okay we can't be on call 24 hours a day right because the other kinds of leave you kind of have to pre-schedule but this is a way of fighting back against a system where like um there were a couple of articles where some railway workers were describing their situation and basically like you could be home you're technically on a day off but there are like three different chunks of time during the day where you can be called in at any minute which means oh like you God. can never can you you're actually never with your kid or like right, going out right. to the store or, like or whatever fully right? present or you or can't be fully to like, present to yeah. like do an activity where yeah. you can't just leave it you know exactly immediately. right and so then yeah. if you're scheduled and you're feeling like crap you can't just be sick which seems really crazy when basically like if you are conducting or driving this huge you know train you could kill someone you yourself could be killed the, right, right all the cargo could come off the rail um my incidentally like my dad worked in a machine shop for his career and he was in the machinist union which generally has a good reputation but he also had no sick days and it Why? was like because a, you would have to be called in they just like didn't have sick days in their contract. They had a weak contract. And this is like not, it, it seems so crazy when you're like talking about manual work. Right. But right, there are a lot right. of jobs like this where even with a union, like sometimes you have a shitty contract and you don't have sick leave. And it's like, it's very, it's really, really hard on the family. It's really obviously ridiculous on your body. So yeah, it just seems like a completely unreasonable thing that I hope people understand and give attention to. Is part of the issue with the sick day stuff, is it because, you know, this industry doesn't have, doesn't have enough workers to cover enough shifts? Like, is that part of the reasoning? Yeah, definitely. So it's a huge story. It's like a story of several decades going back to like consolidation and deregulation in the industry. There used to be, I think, like 40 different rail companies that were involved in this, in this sort of national system of freight. And now there's like seven um, and so we're talking about a situation where they're constantly cost cutting and then they're trying to skim off workers. Um, so the number of workers has decreased a lot. And so they're always trying to like schedule them more and more tightly. And that's the just in time scheduling that we're seeing now. Yeah, it is interesting to see. Like one thing that was interesting to me was just how there was a lot of news about this, but certainly not as much about than as about like Amazon or Starbucks yeah. labor efforts. And yet you can tell it's like there's that even if it doesn't quite make the media that it's super important because the president intervened almost right exactly <laughs> because also yeah. like with the crunch on the container ships right, the whole line right. has been like well the rail can pick it up well look if like you know? if the rail doesn't pick it up and if rail goes on strike then that's like disaster for joe biden you know just at a time for when sure. like, he's like kind of like pushing back a little bit on With inflation, inflation and, and everything mm -hmm. like that. And then you suddenly have this other crisis and prices go up and things aren't available totally. and everyone starts freaking out again. Um, yeah. I can see why he's like trying very hard. Are there any expectations about where the, what the votes are going to be? Just, I guess just from the reporting I've seen and speaking with a couple of advocates, it seems like, it seems like it's completely up in there. I haven't gotten like a good <laughs> sense of things. The labor journals I've been reading have um, made it seem like it's a, it could really be voted down. And I don't know what that means. I think it'll mean that the federal arbitrators will try to force everyone into a meeting again and get like 
a little bit of an extension. Um, but we could also see a situation where the railroad companies try to lock out the workers as opposed to the workers. Right. That's also striking. part of it is that there's like also a yeah. threat of a lockout, right? At yeah. this point, which um, I'm sure that that, will, that sort of stuff is not going to necessarily be front and center, right? It'll be blamed on the workers, um, just like it always is, you know? Yeah. I find this in sports all the time. It's like every time there's a labor strike in professional sports, even when it's like a straight up lockout, right? The like with the NFL public sentiment time. goes against the goes against the players. Right? Yeah, they say the players are too greedy. And you're like they just got locked out. Like, For sure, I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, was the NFL when the last time that happened in major NBA had a lockout. The NBA yeah. had one. Yeah. yeah, the NBA had a lockout, and it was portrayed as like a labor stoppage by the players. You know, that's so interesting. Players. Yeah, there's. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't get that. I mean, I think it is kind of interesting right now that most of the public does seem to be supportive of the railroad workers, even though it'll be disastrous for all of us, like in terms of getting stuff. Are they, or is like most people on Twitter supportive of the railroad <laughs> I think there was some polling I saw that seemed to be right. more positive than I thought. Well, I maybe... think also that like mainstream papers are generally like feeling a little bit cozier towards the workers, but. Yeah, yeah. Also, railway workers are like people who you don't like. Like they've, they pass like the masculinity real job. <laughs> totally. <pass. laughs> they are know? the classic American worker. Like. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Unless they're Chinese, but like, you know, like it's basically <laughs> just like, yo, yeah. um, they must, they must actually be upset, you know, like yeah. they deserve better. They have Harleys. So they're doing real work, you know, yeah. like these aren't yeah. some like, you know, woke libs, <laughs> you know, working at Starbucks. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I think that's Talking right. about Harry Da. All these salts. Um, okay. Well, that's a good, um, I don't know. I guess it's a wait and see type of thing totally. rather than a big we'll thing. Keep an eye on All this. right. The big thing that I wanted to talk about this week was this DeSantis thing. You know, and oh like, um, you know, if, if, look, if you've been living under a rock, I'll just say it very quickly, like uh, Ron DeSantis sent a plane load of people to Martha's Vineyard. These are, you know, people who came and declared that they were on an asylum from the United States, legally showed up to the border. And DeSantis in this stunt, right? I don't think there's other any other way to put it decided to send them to Martha's Vineyard because he thought this would like, you know, like trigger the libs and that he would point out their like base hypocrisy of like wealthy, wealthy liberals and, you know, the things that they they say and the things that they're willing to do. Now, part of me is a bit like conflicted by this because there's nothing that I enjoy more in life. I kind of thought, the yeah. Base hypocrisies <laughs> of wealthy liberals. Like, this is like a stunt that's created for you and your contradictions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like when all the, when all the, uh, look, I clearly am not going to be on ever on the side of something like this, you know, but when, when, um, when people were tweeting stuff like, Oh, all these people with, refugees are welcome here and and um black lives matter signs on their three million dollar houses so and, and i was like that's what i say <laughs> yeah, he's my, to say he's that. my <laughs> line <laughs> guys oh you know, don't, don't, don't take this from me too you know <laughs> I'm not going to oh join God. you guys, you know, so like I either I'm going to stop saying this stuff or like, you know, you guys are going to have to stop saying it. Let me tell you something. I'm not going to stop saying it, you know, <laughs> but like it led to all this sort of theater. Right. Um, You know, the people of Martha's Vineyard made a big show of 
of welcoming these migrants, right? Which I think was good, right? Like, I, I think it's like unassailably good, right? That they were basically like, fuck you, Ron DeSantis, right? We're gonna, we're, we're yeah. not gonna do the thing that you said that we're gonna do. Now, the part that was interesting to me was that like, basically like everyone on the right pretended like that hadn't happened and that like all the people had just turned, like, sort of violently turned them away, you know? And it's weird because like, it seems to, the thing that I want to talk about is just like, we're in this like moment right now where it just seems like everybody is just doing shit that they saw on Twitter, you know? And like, mm. I think that like so much of both, like this is a critique that people have of the democratic uh, political machine that it's like people who went to Princeton or people who went to Vassar, or people who went to elite schools and they're out of touch with normal people. And uh, they, they just do stuff based on tweets that they saw, right? Like that's a general, like, you know, like they're like, oh, that's why like Kamala Harris is talking about trans kids or Elizabeth Warren says like, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Like these things that are like actually somewhat unpopular are being like put up as like almost signals to like, you know, say, you know, like we're, we're cool with you guys too. Right. I think this is also true of the right at this point, you know, like, I don't think that there are many like sort of, I'm not talking about like the hard right people. Right. But I'm just talking about like, let's take, let's take your, like, let's take like the sort of apocryphal example of like a mother in the in the suburbs of Philadelphia who like has many conservative leanings and might even be like anti-abortion because they're Catholic or something like that. Right. But mm -hmm. they're like, they generally dislike the entire political system and they're trying to decide between let's say like DeSantis and Joe Biden or something like, like stuff like this, like, and they go to church every Sunday, stuff like this. I don't think appeals to them. You know, I really yeah. don't like, I think it's cruel. Like the cruelty of it is just so obvious it, it violates like so many like base humanitarian impulses, which I still do think that a lot of Christian people hold, you know, like, I mean, this would be like, even in the eighties or nineties, this would be like denounced, I think by a lot of religious leaders. Yeah. Right? And like, yeah, like all the religious refugee right stuff that has a long history. Right, right, right. Like the sort of like, oh, we're going to go out and lend a helping hand. Now you can point out how bullshit those things were, but that was course, still the messaging yeah. that they chose. Definitely you know? charitable thread of that. Yeah. Right. And so I think that the, at the, like, this is the thing that I've been kind of thinking for a while, right. Which is like, you see these things like the new right. Right. And like, they're all just these like little, like they all went to Georgetown and they all have, wear like little ties and suits and they, you know, like they do like TikToks and stuff like that. They're all little, you know, like, I just like, I don't think those people have any idea what's happening in the country either. you know. <laughs> and, yeah. and they're increasingly sort of the voice of at least like the media, right. You know, and like they do work on like for some of these influential politicians. I don't know. It's just very hard for me to believe that like anyone likes any of this stuff. And it just feels like there's this feedback loop now between like, you know, people getting canceled and then people pulling stunts and then people like owning the libs and stuff like that. And it was just like, I tweeted about this, but like, you know, like when the queen died and like, you know, like five or six, like very woke professors started tweeting like crazy, like truly wild shit. Like I hope she suffered while she died and stuff like that, <laughs> which, you know, whatever, like, you know, it's a bit intense, you know, <laughs> but then, <laughs> but then Fox news started like showing their tweets like they always do, you know? Yeah, and, then, like, and they were all black, right? right. Like, <laughs> was black, I think. 
or at least like <laughs> definitely not white, you know, definitely not white. Um, yeah. and, um, and then they started like arguing, um, that the monarchy was good. <laughs> i was just like they basically just like twirl themselves around you know they're just so reactive right that like anything that this small group of like right people are gonna say they're gonna say the opposite of that i just think it's like a weird weird political situation now and i just like i don't know i've found myself being much more hopeful about the political future than i was six months ago and stuff like this actually makes me like outside of the just horrific cruelty and shittiness of it like in some ways, I feel like it's a self-owned by the right. What do you think? Wait, so you, so what do you think it means for DeSantis's constituents? They either don't care, or I mean, are are any people going to react against it because it is so cruel, or do you just think it's like a superfluous performance that no one actually is paying attention to who's voting for him or against him? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm basically down on DeSantis overall. You know, like of not. Course. I mean, not. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I mean, know. not as. A, I just don't think that he's as powerful as people or like as big of a threat you don't think he has the yeah i don't think he's gonna make it i mean it's so early and like you know i don't know any election when you look at this early like it's a very boring thing to say but it's always true it's just like well rudy Rudy giuliani was winning at this phase at this you know or like scott walker was winning at this phase you know and like desantis like does he have a little bit more staying power than some of these other guys maybe you know like maybe yeah. he's like a bigger star, but is he really a bigger star than Rudy Giuliani? You know, like America's mayor? No, you know. Um, is he out trumping Trump? No. Like, come on, you know. Like, like I, once Trump gets him on a stage, I imagine that it'll be over for DeSantis in the same way it was really? for That's all these other people who were supposed to be like Trump killers. It reminds me of like um, in basketball, there was like this thing like people used to be like called Kobe Bryant stoppers, you know, like the Kobe stopper and like the person who could like really. Like, Did that get person in. exist? No. no. <laughs> Everyone who was supposed to be a Kobe stopper would just get torched. I see. Yeah, That's there was hilarious. one guy in okay. Portland, a particular name, um, Reuben Patterson, who was like an awful person, ended up like, I think he like sexually assaulted his babysitter or something like that. But anyway, God. for a while he was like the, Kobe stopper, you know, and it's just like, no, nah. <laughs> yeah, so like that's how I feel. I feel like Ron DeSantis is like fucking Ruben Patterson, like being the uh, being the Kobe stopper. And I just feel like <laughs> if your entire thing is just responding to shit on Twitter to like own the libs and make the like make like you know like the New York Times man at you or whatever or like MSNBC, like I don't know, like that, like how much like. I don't think that that's like a I think that's about as doomed of a political strategy as like sort of, you know, you know, getting super duper woke and following woke Twitter in the same way. I, but that's just <laughs> me. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope you're right. I think I'm less I think I'm more scared than you are. I think both because I had read that long profile of DeSantis by Philkins in the New Yorker. Oh, yeah. No, no. It was in the Times. Matt Flagenheimer. Yeah, friend of the podcast. You mean the one in oh, the magazine? Oh, I think there was one also in the New York. Oh, okay. Yeah, I must, maybe I read both, but I think those have kind of freaked me out. Also, the way that he's been going around campaigning with really horrible candidates like J.D. Vance around the country and um, kind of trying to sell this sort of whole cast of far-right Republicans, right. you know? And I guess my worry about like what you were just describing is that I think what they've done is they've used all of the kind of like liberal woke shit as you know, this kind of like shell to describe a world and sell that world to their constituents. And then by doing stuff like the Martha's Vineyard thing, they're basically like reifying the realness of that shell. 
So they've kind of created this game and then they're like playing into the game. So everything now is like actually on that stage. And so right, right. everything's a game. I right. think that really, yeah. Like I think in that sense, unless you are like a really engaged person in politics and in voting, you're actually not going to really look beyond that. And you're actually going to accept the terms that they've set up in this like ridiculous fake world of politics. That's what freaks me out that, yeah, it's all ridiculous. It's all a show. And yet, if that's the only show that people see, like, does stuff like the Martha's Vineyard stunt actually score points for them? Possibly. Well, you're right in the sense that they are, they've created like an unreality or like a hyper reality or something like that. Yeah. Right? Like there's like, and there's... that's, and if that's the only actual venue that people are engaging with. I still think that people are connected in some ways to the, I to the so. world, you know, now. Like, <laughs> I, and to reality. Like, <laughs> And the reason I feel that way is because of a lot of the voting swings that happened post, you know, Roe, right? And um, I think that was a very real moment. I think the fact that, like, none of these people are talking about abortion anymore is, like, shows Mm -hmm. that they're scared of it, right? And that, um, I don't know. I I just, like, like maybe maybe there's enough people who who think that, that, like, owning the libs and this type of thing is really funny that it'll swing the election towards them or whatever. Not that that's what matters, but obviously we're talking about elected officials who are just yeah. talking about electoral yeah, yeah. politics. But my sense of it is that like, yes, there is a large contingency of people who do that just as there's like a pretty large contingency of people who are kind of like, um, you know, who love canceling people or whatever. Right. Like that's like, those are real people too. Right. But <laughs> I think it's pretty small, you know? And I think that like the second that I hope so that, that and I just don't know. Like maybe I'm wrong, but I just think that sort of cruelty at this level, right? Like there's children there, you know. Like people's brains like react very different when they when they see like a child being mistreated, you know. And that, um, yeah. And that like sort of including these children in this type of joke, I find it obviously I find it like morally repulsive, you know. But I also think that most people will find it morally repulsive. But I don't know. Yeah. Maybe this is my so. like general hope hopefulness. I don't know what has happened to my brain. I was so black pilled like six months ago. But then like <laughs> I've decided that like, you know, like things are gonna like I don't think things are gonna be okay, you know. But and I don't know, I was talking to show that like a uh, friend of the show, Tommy Craigs and I went and watched the boxing match together and at a bar oh, in Oakland nice. the other day, which was like my first like I'm just not even going to worry about if I get COVID from this bar. <laughs> oh, you went inside? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> that is no, it's true. Like, for those people who just listen to the show that I don't, you know, like, I don't really talk about COVID very much. But, like, I generally don't go out. I, like, I, it's not that I don't leave the house because <laughs> of COVID. I just don't really leave the house, period. And so it does cross <laughs> my mind when I'm going to things like bars where I'm just like, wow, I don't really go to bars very much or sit inside anyway i did that was it so nice to be with people oh my god it was amazing it was like fun and people were yelling they're all bunch you know it's like a mexican fighter canelo alvarez fighting this ukraine uh Mm -hmm. kazakh fight actually part korean fighter Gennady golovkin but um there's a whole bunch of mexican people in the bar you know and they're all cheering and it was fun you know even though i was rooting against a mexican fighter at this point it was still like (laughs) it's still kind of thrilling in a way anyway yeah like his i think his take is kind of right which is that the a lot of the sort of fascist type of stuff that's happening is probably going to get it worse you know and it will continue but that in the short term that i don't think it's going to have like this massive wave effect and 
politics. Like a lot of these people aren't going to get elected, you know, like Blake mm -hmm. Masters is like way down in Arizona, for example, you know? And so I don't know. Okay. My, I well, kind of think once right. they lose the, once they lose the megaphone that it goes away then occasionally we might have like dudes in khakis and blue shirts with masks on marching around like fucking idiots. But like, you can just ignore those people until they do something horrible, you know, but which they probably at some point will, you know, but like, it's no reason to freak out every single time they show up. <laughs> I mean, I think the thing about the DeSantis thing is though, though, is that we had already seen this with Texas, right? Like Abbott was sending people to New York City. Like this is right. like a pattern of behavior among the Republicans in the way that they're treating migrants. Um, and some of that stuff was, yeah, it was less theatrical than the Martha's Vineyard, but it was no less bad. Right, right. Like people right. were showing up to random built cor corporate buildings in New York. I mean, it's just been an absolute nightmare. And so, um, I don't know. I guess the fact that so many politicians think that this is like either funny or some sort of like workable PR strategy is like very concerning to me. But maybe it's what maybe your answer is just, well, the Abbots and the DeSantis of the world are not the mainstream. Well, I think Abbott might be slightly closer to the Texas mainstream, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And maybe DeSantis is closer to a Flor type of kind of Florida. reactionary Florida <laughs> yeah. mainstream. Like, um, and that that he might represent a lot of angry people there, right? But like what is the what is their general policy, right? Like their policy is basically being cruel to to migrants, calling everyone and calling everyone illegal, right? Mm -hmm. And then like the other 70% of their platform is like screaming at trans people, you know? And I just don't think that like for the majority of people that any of those issues are particularly front and center in their lives in the yeah. same way like the economy is, you know, yeah. and so it's like the big debate is still whether or not, you know, Democrats or progressives or the left or whoever should just take the bait and fight this culture war, right? Or if they should just ignore it and talk about like inflation and, you know, healthcare and yeah. student loans workers and stuff issues. like that, workers issues. Yeah. And um, I think that, I don't know, the guy that you wrote about, right, Tim Ryan, Right. He's mm -hmm. like an interesting case in that and all of that. Right. Because like at some that's published, by the way. Right. We're not previewing. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, it's, um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Because um, <laughs> like there is a type of xenophobia that he does that I don't love, you know, but at the same time, he's going against J.D. Vance in Ohio. I know. You know? And like he does kind of yeah. be like, I'm a worker. Like I care about the workers. I care about the workers. I care about the workers. And he doesn't really get so trapped in a lot of this i don't know i think that that's probably the best thing i don't agree with like For the sure. people who say that the left should constantly fight this culture war because like in the states where a lot of this heinous stuff is happening it's like i'm not sure we have the power to stop it on the state legislative level right um and like i just think that they want the whole goal is to try and get people to turn the world into this hyper or whatever on reality that they're trying to create where like yeah the only thing anyone should ever care about is when teenage trans kids get their hormone blockers or like you know what's happening at drag queen story hour and stuff like that and um you know like it's amazing how much the internet has allowed that to become the reality for a lot of people but i just still don't think it's the reality for most people but maybe i'm mm -hmm. wrong yeah no i did yeah i mean i do think when when it comes time for the election like even the DeSantis's are going to have to say something about actual policy, which he's been avoiding. Right, completely. right, right. 
Um, and, but in all of his appearances, like, yeah, when he was, I just know his presser with JD Vance the best, but they literally said absolutely nothing about the economy or workers or job creation. What did they talk all about? Just like this insane woke stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like almost like 99% of what they said was that. And it just, I just was like, I don't know who in Ohio is like glomming onto this. This is so bizarre. But the fact that it just keeps happening, like, and, and these are not on Twitter. This is not a Twitter presser. This is like a real life presser with real life Republicans in like Youngstown. I'm like, what in the world? You know? So I don't know. I know. It makes me very nervous. But yeah, I hear you. I mean, I do think people aren't stupid. People know they need jobs. Like, yeah. Yeah, I still think my idea is the best. Where we oh, have I have I unveiled this idea on the podcast yet? Which there should be a super pack, right? And the super pack is uh, dedicated to really, in good faith, trying to like find like the examples of quote unquote wokeness that actually bother people. You know, so for example, here in California, I think that like Joe Bowaler, who is a professor of education at Stanford. Her curriculum idea is to sort of do away with algebra in middle school and her justifications of it, which are just kind of like, a, well, it's white supremacy. It's like the sort of Tima Okun stuff about like what, you know, principles of white, white supremacy and stuff like that. Right. That math? Like, huh? In well, math. math. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, all like math. parts of math. Right. Like objectivity okay. and all this sort of stuff. Right. Like that okay. actually bothers people who have kids. Right. And then yeah. I think they start to listen to some more of the stuff and they start to see like wokeness in other places. But anyway, the super pack should just pay, <laughs> pay, pay select people to just stop tweeting. <laughs> just be like, listen, <laughs> we're going <laughs> to, here's, oh here's $2 million. <laughs> we're not going to make an ad out of this, you know? But in fact, we're going to stop 50 Republican ads, you know? Go buy yourself a very nice house, you know? And like, just hang out for like two years or so or something like that, you know? And like, don't <laughs> interfere with like the state of California's yeah, math idea. curriculum anymore, you know? And then <laughs> at the end of it, you can come out and it'll be fine, you know? But like, listen, we're just asking you two years. Give us two years. Here's $2 million or something like that. <laughs> this is like the opposite of, it's like the anti-substack. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like the, basically we're just like asking like, please, please, please. Um, I don't know. But I don't even know who I would keep put on that list. Like my other idea was that like, you know, the professors that you were talking about who like Tucker Carlson always shows on his show oh that they should start tweeting the opposite of what they actually want because he's so reactive or his writers are so <laughs> reactive that like they'll just take the opposite view of whatever they say you know <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> and they should say stuff like you know like medicare for all is white supremacy or something like that's that. when we actually fully accept like this as a game and we're like okay yeah. let's play yeah it's let's like actually a, win it's like uh Daffy, whoever, like, um, it's like Looney Tunes, you know, where he's like, he's, where they just like switch what they say and then the other person yeah. does the other thing. It's like, yeah. I don't well, know how much money would it take for um, Asian American academics to pay you to be quiet, Jay? Oh my God. It would take more than $2 million a year. There's <laughs> you know, not enough money in, in, there's not enough money in Asian American studies departments across <laughs> the country, I which I also, I am not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying out of a spirit of solidarity that I hope that, you know. <laughs> You do get paid. No, I'm serious. You know, Asian American studies, like, you know, I don't know, maybe it could be more ideologically di diverse, but, you know, 
whatever. It's important to have uh, teach these things. And um, they are underfunded, which is part of the reason I think why they're mad at me all the time, right? Like, it's like a precarity thing. <laughs> I don't know. Are they mad at me? <laughs> I have no clue. Not everyone, you know, down. just so. I think they're not willing to fork their salaries over to you to have you shut up. So. Yeah, I know. Well, I haven't even <laughs> talked about it any, in, in a while, you know? <laughs> know. I'm trying to make peace with them sincerely. You know, I'm tired of fighting with, with Asian American studies professors. Um, the um, the NYU reading group in APA is reading your um, frat article. Oh, yeah. That one's, well, no, that one is the one that started right? them all getting mad at me. I know, but I think it's now. Oh, really? Oh, good. I've entered the canon. <laughs> you've entered the canon of this extremely precarious field of inquiry. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Oh, it's, uh, that, I felt, that one I was a bit surprised by when everyone got mad, when they when a lot of people got mad about that. But the, I know, don't I understand what they were mad about. Well, I, I just follow. said like that's where I first said like Asian America doesn't really exist. You know. Oh, the yeah. creation of the identity yeah. category. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, is there anything else we should talk about today? I think the one thing you wanted to talk about was the Columbia thing, which is just funny. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't have to... I feel like this is a very, like, J higher ed and J parent thing. Well, yeah, okay, so the last thing that we're going to talk about is Columbia. Um, you know, I went to graduate school there, but it's certainly not my alma mater. I paid, like, I went into student debt to go to fine arts grad school there to get my MFA, which is just like a joke, you know. Um, but they were uh they were number two in the country in the US News and World Report. I did not realize that, which is very, you know For undergrad, right? Yeah, is for that, undergrad. Right. Very uh -huh. prestigious ranking. And then one of its uh, math professors was like accusing the school of submitting like dubious statistics. <laughs> and that and then the university said, Oh yeah, yeah, we made a mistake here, right? Which is like very, very funny that a Columbia math professor would sort of dime out his own school, you know? And then um and then what Columbia went drop from like two to eighteen. That was like their punishment, right? Which is like so absurd, funny. you know. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> anyway, the only reason I point this out is because I think it's really, really, really funny. And, but the other thing is that it's definitely going to open them up to like legal problems, you know, I think like, definitely. you know, there's already a class action suit that is sort of organizing, <laughs> yes. which is also hysterical to me, you know, all I these know. like parents, I like, I wish I could get in on that, you know, it's so good. And <laughs> Because yeah. it's only from people who were at Columbia between 2016 and 2022. But lawyers, if you want to roll that back to like 2003, <laughs> you know, please and include graduate students who like, you know, basically had like a, a like a 1.8 GPA in college and just got in because they were willing to pay the tuition. Like, let me know, you know, like, let me in on this, right? Like, because, you should like, put all the master's candidates in for sure. Yeah. Anyone who had to <laughs> pay for a worthless master's degree, like, you know, should also be part of it because that should also be a class action lawsuit. That is insane. Yeah. Especially since the reason why they can charge so much for the, for, look, I have very good professors at Columbia. And so I'm not complaining about the, my education there or the program. You, you, but you the cost like of it. it is crazy, you know, and the cost of it was entirely based on the reputation of the school. You know? Yeah. And like, there's nothing that distinguishes an MFA program at Columbia from an MFA program at, let's say, like, uh, like at Hunter, you know, or, mm -hmm. or at, or at like Rutgers or any of the other places in the tri-state area. Right. Except for like one is associated with an Ivy League school. So they pay more, you know, like 
Yeah. Hunter has famous writers there. Rutgers has famous writers there. Like uh, NYU has famous writers there. Like all these schools do, you know? Um, And uh, Columbia might have a couple more, but that's just because it's Columbia and it's like in Manhattan or whatever, right? But um, the new school has faculty there, but Columbia would charge so much. And um, I don't know, like, I just found it funny. Like, I, I, hope, funny. I hope all the, I hope everyone who filed it is part of this class action lawsuit wins, you know? <laughs> I was picturing so many immigrants signing on because I feel like immigrants are the ones who need to go back to their home country and be like, my kid was at the number two school. And now it's like number 18. And they're <laughs> no, 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 like, no, no, no. get compensated for like, losing face at my family reunion <laughs> you know how like the conversation is gonna whatever, go though know? right the cover <laughs> the actual conversation is this it's like you know like i'm just gonna do it and i like like it's like oh you know like uh daniel got into daniel got into columbia you know and then back home somebody's like oh columbia you know why not princeton or or yale you know and then he's like no Columbia's number two school, you know, and then they show it to them. Exactly. Like trying to like own the like than guy MIT, that they were competing with. Better than Caltech, you know, and like all uh, better than exactly. Stanford. And for those people, this is a disaster, you know, because they're lying. So Columbia is more exactly. than the other schools. And everyone's like whispering behind their back and like in their yeah, home country, yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. 18. <laughs> he tried to lie to me and say that <laughs> Columbia is more prestigious than going to Princeton. <laughs> like, what exactly. a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> my, um, my initial reaction to this story, too, was like, God bless tenure. Oh, yeah. No, I love this guy. You know? Yeah. I mean, this freaking guy, Michael Thaddeus, he's just like, he does not give a fuck. And yeah, it's so great that he can do this and just be like, you guys are frauds. Yeah, I work for you now in Columbia's defense. I imagine that every single school cheats on this thing, you know, for sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, like they all it's like it's like they're doing their taxes, you know, basically. Like This is their form of doing their taxes. And like, you know, I did use that for like 14. Like I do use that uh, Nintendo switch to do research for my journalism. (laughs) I will write it (laughs) off type of thing. (laughs) <laughs> not that i did that you know exactly. but um mm-hmm. or like you know like that is my company car type of thing right i didn't do that exactly either, but, you know these are things that people do um and, and that like they all just lie about everything i guarantee so he's like blog post was so funny he said the broad what do you say the broader lesson is that what is it? The U.S. news has shown that its operations are so shoddy that both of them are meaningless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. So We're never going to get to a point in America where these rankings don't matter, you know? I don't think. And that's really? like, yeah, I just don't think so. I mean, like, where I, did you, I didn't look at all, you know, when I applied to college, but that was partially just because, like, the, um, I could only really apply to small liberal arts colleges that would listen to my story of, you know, why I did so bad for one year in high school, you know, like I kind of like, I had like one year where I just, my grades were so, and just tanked my GPA. Other years are oh, okay, but like, you know, um, and so the smaller schools are more receptive to that. So it was like mm-hmm. not really on my mind very much. I just mm-hmm. knew that some schools are good. I ended up going to a very good school, but like, um, I just like, I think that it's just implanted in people's brains. It's just like part of the, but they're just so like, 
I don't know. The schools care about them. Kids it's care so about ridiculous. them. I think I always, when I was growing up, I think I saw that like the Asian families around me were really obsessed with them because I figured that it like replicated a structure that they could understand in the, from their home country, like right? Or like it was just a way. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess anything hierarchical and ranked. Um, no, but just like in the way that like, you know, in Korea, they have like, they're like, this is the best school. This is the second best school. This is the third best right. school. And like, no one has ever wavered from that. And so then when they see the US news thing, they're like, okay, this translates for me. But I never thought that any other people cared about it because it's so ridiculous. Yeah, and I guess I, a lot of people I, I do. Think you're right. I think a lot of like sort of rich people who send their kids to them or like uh, white people who send their kids to those schools because everyone who's basically everyone who sends their kids to their school is rich, right? I think that um, that that they uh, that they probably care more about like alumni networks and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, like they know where the money is. Right, right. I don't know, but but yeah, I mean, clearly it does matter because there's an entire freaking industry around it. Oh my god, we. But yeah, it's like the turbo tax of like <laughs> of like higher education. We're number six. We've we're number six in national liberal arts colleges right now. My alma mater. Bowdoin. Yeah. Tuition is 61,528. Oh, the enrollment went up. It used to be 1,600, and now it's 1,900 kids. Anyway, oh, wow. the thrilling thing about- who will be the Michael Thaddeus of Bowdoin? <laughs> I don't think any. Who will be the whistleblower who takes Bowdoin's right Not me, not me. You know, <laughs> I want nothing to do with that school, even though they, uh, yeah. Um, I thought you liked it. I like going there? No. But you know, I've started in my older age. I've like started to, you know. You, it seems you speak fondly of it. Well, I like my friends from there, but that's true. I would have liked my friends from any college. I think that's why they're your friends, yeah, yeah. you know. But um, I don't know. It's just like a weird place to go. All right, I think we're good. Yeah. Um, good to nice, see you. Efficient. Thanks for your encouragement. Enjoy the surfing. The what time are you going out? Do you have a wetsuit? How warm's the water? So the water's pretty warm. I'm going out in like five hours. They give you a wetsuit. They give you a wetsuit. Yeah, that'll be fine. Yeah. And yeah. what do you have? Like, take the biggest, floatiest board they do, they give you. Oh, okay. Don't use like a smaller board because the bigger board is harder to carry. Just use like the biggest board that you can possibly I see. use. And okay. uh, because the other ones you won't be able to paddle around in. And the most important thing is gotcha. have fun. You know who the best surfer is in every single lineup, Tammy? The one who's yeah. having the most fun. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> That's like one of those like an elementary school teacher. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those surf things that people say all the time. It's like a surf cliche that like everyone fully believes in, you know? <laughs> I mean, not everyone, but I do because I'm usually a bad surfer, you know? And I'm also sometimes not having fun, but then sometimes I'm like, just remember, you know, I'll see some like 13 year old just like torch me. And then, or like sometimes like in Santa Cruz or something, they'll like kind of fuck with you by like doing ollies over you on the wave, which is a crazy thing to think about, but it happens, you know, they'll like do a little hop over you. This happened to me once and I was like so humiliated. (laughs) 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 And, um, and I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know who the best surfer is in the lineup? The one having the most fun. (laughs) (laughs) So corny, but amazing. I was just watching Kai Lenny videos because oh, I don't know yeah. why. Well, yeah, I don't like, know. But Kai Lenny so is interesting sad. because big wave surfing is like kind of like you know, it's sort of like vert skating, right? Where there's a yeah. if you're like a street skater, you're like, oh, that's lame. Tony Hawk's lame or whatever. 
And big wave oh, surfing really? in some ways is the same way where you're just like, okay, they're just going a straight line and they're towed in by like a jet ski. And um, who mm. cares? You know, like it's just kind of like a death wish type of thing. I didn't realize that. However, Kai Lenny, as Bill Finnegan wrote in his great profile of Kai Lenny. Did you read that? So good. Yeah. Kai Lenny is, is the only big wave surfer and he does other types of surfing. But he's the only big wave yeah, surfer who could ever, who has ever ridden big waves with any semblance of style. You know, and like he'll like pull in and try and get barreled on these like 60 foot waves, which is fucking crazy, you know, and I think he's done more to sort of like bridge the gap between like hardcore, like, you know, the only good wave is like a two foot roller at Malibu, you know, Um, and (laughs) yeah, I don't know any of this. Yeah. yeah. Or like or like, um, you know, like soul surfers who are like, yo, I just go to Indo, we go left. And, you know, like, it's just about the ocean. It's not about bigness, you know, like you have to take the <laughs> ego out of surfing. Big wave surfing is all about ego and crystal meth, which, you know, for a while it was. But Kai has, Kai Lenny has kind of bridged a lot of that just because he's so good. Um, okay. On that note, we cool. end our surfing right, podcast. Um, if you would like to <laughs> contribute to our show, you can contribute on Patreon or on Substack. It's goodbye or it's patreon.com slash pod or it's goodbye.substack.com. Um, for five dollars a month, you get access to bonus episodes now. We put out a bonus episode recently. Mm-hmm. Um, or our Discord. You also will get a newsletter of what Tammy's this is not true. I was gonna say you get like a Tammy's <laughs> But we have a lot of meetups we had a korea meetup the other day it was good how'd that go it was fun it was nice to see folks how many of our listeners are in korea permanently like i don't know 10 we found out that like only like 70 percent of our listenership is in the united states and 30 percent of is international it's kind of interesting you know it's cool um I was expecting like a 90 10 type of split yeah but um a lot of them are international um let's see oh and if you'd like to get in touch with us it's time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com tammy enjoy surfing um it is a activity for life i need to go out soon because i have to go to h mart and the h mart is next to the beach and we have, <laughs> i haven't been in a while just because of tennis but like this tennis is killing me you know this is like really killing me yeah, i can't move I'm half the time i'm worried about your tennis Engagement. I, know. I, I, like I was going to play like right now, but then um, I have another call I have to do. And I, part of me was like, thank God, you know, maybe you'll take up rollerblading instead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> All right. Till next right, week. See you later. Bye. Bye.